The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And let's hear what Duff McKagan has got in store with us with his patented joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling. Listen, I'm back in LA. Uh, escaped the 110 degree weather up in Seattle. Uh, rehearsing some Guns N' Roses. Rehearsal a lot. And uh, listen, I have an in vogue joke for you. I got an in vogue joke for you. You're never going to get it. No, you're never going to get it. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> that was excellent. That's a top uh, That's a top 10 Duff joke for me. I love it. Oh, you're never going to get it. Oh, you're never going to get it, which, of course, was on Vogue's biggest hit. But uh, if you have to explain the joke, then you uh, didn't land it. But he landed it huge. But he's rehearsing hard with Guns N' Roses as they get ready to hit the road in July in Pennsylvania. I'm going to be there. And don't forget, Fozzie starts up next week. We're doing a few festival dates starting July 14th in Iowa City at Wildwood. Uh, July 14th, like I said, Wildwood in uh, Iowa City. And that's almost sold out. It might even be sold out as we talk. So if you want to get the last few tickets for that, go to FozzieRock.com. Then we got the Godot Rock Fest on the 15th. Jacksonville, the Taco Festival at Daly's Place. I return on July 17th. And Sheboygan, Brat Days on August 7th. And then, of course, the Save the World Tour gets underway on September 2nd. You get tickets, once again, at FozzyRock.com. Columbus, Ohio on the 2nd. Joliet, Illinois on the 3rd. Belvedere, Illinois on the 4th. Kansasville, Wisconsin on the 6th. Harrisburg uh, on the 9th. And Apotomatox at the Blue Ridge Rock Fest on September 10th. The, The list goes on and on and on. We finish up October 9th in Orlando. Johnson City sold out. Flint, Michigan sold out. Pittsburgh sold out. Cleveland sold out. A lot of the shows are also going to sell it fairly soon. So go to FozzyRock.com and get your uh, VIP tickets and normal tickets now. Also, you can do that for the UK going back in November 30th. Manchester, England at the Club Academy. Then we're going to Newcastle, Glasgow, Dublin, Belfast, Birmingham, Wales, London, all across the UK and Ireland. Don't forget all the tickets at info are at FozzyRock.com. That's, those shows are selling really well too. So if you want your tickets, go get them now. And don't forget about the Fozzy VIP experience. 
uh, the best VIP in the business. Most of those dates are sold out in the States. So go to FozzyRock.com, see what you can find, come hang and rock with Fozzy. And don't forget to come laugh with the Winnipeggers. New episode came out last night, Show and Tell Part 2. Uh, the week before, we did Imitations Live Part 2, uh, the Canadian version, our highest rated episode ever, which was great. Thousands and tens of thousands of people listened to that. Thank you so much. But go to Show and Tell Part 2. You see the stuff that Rivo is showing and telling is ridiculous. New episodes every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. All right, now that we've got all the fun stuff out of the way, we're going to get to today's show, one of the uh, saddest, the most unbelievable uh, true crime stories centering around hockey. It's probably the biggest sex scandal or any scandal in hockey history. The reason I'm talking about this is because it affected somebody that I knew in high school. His name was Jay McCulley. Jay passed away in April. He died of a drug overdose after spending much of his life in and out of prison. He was a tough kid in high school, beat me up a few times. Uh, I read about his death, and then I uncovered this whole other uh, very, very deep, dark story. Jay played in the Junior Hockey League in Canada. Uh, he could have maybe gone on to a professional NHL career, but his life was completely derailed just out of high school by disgraced ex-Western Hockey League Canadian hockey coach Graham James, who allegedly sexually abused numerous players, including Jay, in the Junior Hockey League over years and years and years. Uh, Winnipeg Free Press journalist Jeff Hamilton befriended Jay during his own investigation into Graham James. It was started back in 2019. It was during the many, many hours Jeff and Jay spent talking that Jay told his own story and revealed the abuse he suffered at Graham's hands. So today, Jeff Hamilton is here. He's going to share Jay's story and explain how once celebrated hockey coach Graham James was able to sexually abuse players, including, uh, he should be a Hall of Famer, Theron Fleury, Stanley Cup winner for sure. Uh, he was never caught or really punished. The details that Jeff uncovered are sick and almost unbelievable. The lies and cover-ups and enabling by some of Canada's top hockey officials uh, will blow your mind as well. James was eventually arrested and convicted, but he's out of prison already. Jeff has those details as well. Let's get started with Jeff Hamilton talking about the biggest scandal in NHL history, uh, the Graham James story right here on Talk is Jericho. So it's interesting, a few, a few weeks ago, some of my friends from Winnipeg were saying, hey, did you hear that Jay McCulley passed away? And... So Jay McCulley is a guy that was kind of on the periphery of our kind of gang in high school. He went to, I went to Westwood Collegiate in Winnipeg. He went to John Taylor. But everybody knew his name because he was big guy, he was a good-looking guy, and he was super tough. Jeff Hamilton is here from the Winnipeg Free Press. And it's very strange, amazing. I don't even know what the word would be. In reading Jay's story, I uncovered this whole other story underneath it that we'll get into but first of all what was your relationship with jay and, and this is by the way guys you're not supposed to know who jay mccully is he's just a guy in winnipeg that i knew grew, growing up but like i said it leads to this whole other underworld of things that basically ties into one of the biggest sex scandals in canadian history and definitely the biggest in hockey history so Having said all that, Jeff, how, how did you know Jay and what was your relationship with him? Yeah, I'll just reiterate what you said, Chris. I mean, he's not famous. He's just he's just a normal guy. He's just a normal St. James guy, as as you know, I, I you know, just so, so the listeners know, I'm from Westwood as well. So me and Chris mm-hmm. come from the same community. And and you know, referring to him as a St. James guy is is like referring him to anyone who's in a small community that's tight knit, that you know, a majority of the of the people stay in that community, whose parents live in that community, whose grandparents live in that community. So you 
you know, he's just a normal guy. And as you mentioned, I mean, Jay turned out to be chapter one of six parts of, of a three-year investigation from, from myself in the Winnipeg Free Press into Graham James activities. Um, I didn't meet Jay until about the, a year into my investigation. And it was, it was actually a gentleman. Um, I'm not sure if you, if you recall his name. His name's Peter Anadranistakis. Yeah. Pony Corral, right? Yeah, he was, uh, well, no, no, um, different, like, well, he was a goalie for the team. He, he's a, he's an entrepreneur from between Phoenix and Winnipeg now was really into computers. So okay. I know that name though. I know the name. Yeah, definitely a recognizable name and, and a super popular guy in the community. Anyways, he was talking to me about an experience that he had with one of the teachers at JT named Tom Easton, which we can get into, which is chapter three, essentially of this, of this series, this Tom Easton guy was abusing players anyways, or sorry, uh, students. Um, but anyways, Peter, essentially throughout our relationship, as we continue to talk and develop a bit of a friendship, he introduced me to Jay. And of course, you know, the, the Tom Easton was related to Graham James. He says, look, I know this guy named Jay McCauley. I played hockey with him. You know, he, you, you'd be interested in him. He's telling me that he's had, had a situation with Graham. So anyways, just to kind of move things along, I met Jay for the first time at Winnipeg's downtown train station in 2019 uh, in the summer. It was in August. I remember thinking to myself, like, holy smokes, you know, this is, you know, obviously a big moment for the investigation. I hadn't, um, I'd talked to victims, but I hadn't talked to any new victims of Graham James. Um, but I also knew I was uh, talking to a guy who was from my community, um, but it also spent a major, uh, most of his adult life in and out of prison you know, had association with gangs, um, had spent, you know, years behind bars and was hardened by substance abuse. So I didn't know what to think walking into this first original meeting. At this point, Jay had, had been, it was on probation. He had been sentenced over two years in Stony Mountain Institution, a federal penitentiary here in Manitoba, and he was out on probation. So he had kind of, during that process, he had, he had, had um, kicked drugs, had spoken to therapists at the prison and disclosed his story. So he had been talking behind closed doors about his 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 um, situation with Graham James for some time. Well, Jeff, before you continue, just give a quick overview to people who don't know who Graham James is and, and what he did. So I, I think a lot of people in the hockey community and the international hockey community, it's certainly a Canadian story, but Graham James is the most disgraced junior hockey coach in, in the history of, I would say, the world. He, um, he's, he is the guy that sexually abused, at this point, I think six players, former players have come forward, police estimate much more than that, some even putting that number over 100. And of course, some of his most famous victims are Sheldon Kennedy and Theron Fleury, two guys that made it to the NHL. Um, obviously, Theron Fleury, an Olympic gold medalist for Team Canada, Stanley Cup champion. And, you know, if it wasn't for some of the things that happened later in his life, no doubt would be in the Hockey Hall of Fame right now. Um, that's a whole other decision. But this is a guy who uh, Graham James was a, was born in the East Coast, but came to Winnipeg when he was 13 years old. And from there, rose up the ranks of junior hockey, continued coaching there and, and, and ended up becoming essentially the head coach and general manager of the Swift Current Broncos in the Western Hockey League. And then the Calgary Hitmen, where he ultimately his whole world came crashing down when Sheldon Candy came forward in 1996, um, 97. So, so Graham, Graham, when you're talking about the Swift Current Broncos, that, like that's in the Western Hockey League, which is a major feeder system to the NHL. It's the next step. Once yeah. again, and, and he had this team in the 80s that had so many amazing players, some that have come out, like you mentioned, Theron Fleury and, and, and Sheldon Kennedy, some who have not, but the rumors are there that this is some of the, there's, there's even bigger names that never officially came out that were on the Swift Current Broncos that made it to the NHL, won multiple Stanley Cups, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So very much just a predator 
that was using his influence to coerce these young men to do sexual favors for him at risk of not getting ice time or not getting to be on the team and basically putting their entire futures and careers in danger. Yeah, I mean, and and I'll pick up right there, Chris. To call Graham James a serial sexual predator and a convicted rapist is is putting it lightly. Right. This is a guy who had been honing his manipulation skills, the grooming process, if you will, for a long time before he landed in Swift Current. This is a guy who mentally manipulated not just the players into having even the players care ab- about him in return, but to manipulating them over a period, in some cases, in Sheldon's case and, and even Theo's case, for a period of years where the sexual abuse went on as he was coaching them. So yeah, this isn't just your, you know, uh, as it's heinous as those descriptive words I started off with describe him they literally do little justice in actually what he did the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So, kind of tying back with Jay, and because you wrote, once again, an incredible series of pieces. It's, it's a six-part piece that was in the Winnipeg Free Press. It took me about an hour, if not a little longer, to read all through it. Mm-hmm. Is this something that started for you when you started when you kind of were talking with Jay or or what kind of prompted you to do such an in-depth look into Graham because it's been 15 years or so since all this happened yeah so like even Chris like you know I know and I appreciate you kind of cutting me off at the beginning with Jay because our relationship was long and it was the fact the fact of the matter is the short and long of it is that we became friends over time Um, I helped him I was a personal support system for him I got him into a treatment center later on and ultimately Jay lost his battle to substance abuse last Sunday. He'd been home for 24 hours after a four month program. So to talk about how this started, you got to go back to 2017. I, I, um, look, I'm, I'm a sports journalist by trade, but my editors know that I'm a guy who's hungry for things, wants to dig deeper, wants to tell more stories than, you know, athletes performances on any given night. I cover the Canadian football league. I've covered the, the Winnipeg blue bombers, the Winnipeg jets, but it's really these investigations, the, the, the deeper stories that matter the most to me. So I was called into my editor's office in 2017. We had kind of looked at this story years before I joined the Free Press in 2015. We had looked at this story around 2010 to 2012 for that the importance of that timeline being it was Sheldon Kenny that came forward in 1996 that kind of got the ball rolling, but it was a one-man show. There was another unnamed player that joined him in, in that journey, but he was the kind of the face of it. And it wasn't until 2010 that Theron Fleury's cousin, Todd Holt, and a guy by the name of of, uh, of Greg Lahuli came forward. His charges uh, end up being stayed. But that was kind of the time frame of that. So we tried doing that. Nothing really came of it. No one really wanted to talk. And then we revisited it. And it was, I'll say this just to wrap it up, is that it was three long years and it was three years of pushing even my editors to say, no, 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 guys, like this is the tip of the iceberg. This is the, this is, you know, there's more and more to it. But the entire premise of the investigation was, yes, Graham James has been talked about. He has gone through the court system. He has spent time in jail. But what hadn't been done was a full account 
of what took place in Winnipeg, which which is where ultimately Graham James began his abuse and where he honed those skills and where he ultimately rose the ranks in hockey to ultimately get to the position that he was at, where everyone knows him as that predator and swift current. It's so amazing to me because we're talking to you, Jeff, and like you said, you, you, you write for the Winnipeg, Winnipeg Free Press, and I just months ago had Dave Baxter on, also writes the Winnipeg Free Press, to talk about another kid I went to high school with, Rob Chalk, who grew up to be a serial killer, which was another Winnipeg story. And here we are with Graham James, which you mentioned right off the bat in your piece is a Winnipeg story. But just to kind of tie back into Jay quickly, it's interesting to me because we don't know and don't see just the long-term effects that this sexual abuse had on all of these guys. And once again, knowing Jay very briefly, we actually, I mentioned to you, we got in a fight once and he definitely won. Jay McCulley didn't lose fights. You know, he kind of looked like, um, he kind of looked like the cat from, from karate kid, William Zaku, whatever yeah. his name was good looking guy, but super tough. And uh, Johnny, he looked like, like, like Johnny, but he, uh, he was a guy that, you know, just had all this potential and was very feared. The name Jay McCulley kind of struck hearts into the, to the, uh, struck fear into the hearts of all of us in high school. But then you kind of just lose track of him and hear the stories that you know, he's in, on drugs or whatever. And then honestly, you don't even know. Oh, he's, oh, he just turned out another guy that got on drugs, you know. Totally. You, in the back of your head, you're like, well, that's the guy who beat me up. So, you know, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, he ended up, you know, being, being having this shitty life. Not glad, but it, it fits. It's apropos for him. And then you realize the reason why he had all these problems was because of this sexual abuse that he, that he suffered at the hands of, 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 of Graham James. It's, it's a sad story because he's not the only one. Cause you mentioned all these other guys that all had these long-term effects from, from this horrible abuse that they suffered. That's exactly it. I mean, had Jay not gotten the help in, in prison to come to grips with what happened because even, even, even though Jay's no longer with us, this process here for him, he was still coming to grips and understanding right. the effects. I mean, that's how deep he was in the substance abuse. That's how deep he was in pushing these feelings down. I'll touch on Jay's, you know, f- ability to fight. He's act- He was actually a major gentle giant. Like he didn't go around looking for it, but he never backed down. And I think a lot of people can resonate with a guy like Jay because he was the guy who would stick up for his teammates on the ice and he sure as hell would stick up for his teammates off the ice. Off the ice, yeah. You know, and this guy had an upbringing that before he met Graham James, his dad was, you know, his dad's gone now, so I don't like talking negative thing about people who've moved on, but it, he had an up, he had a rough, rough upbringing. He was, you know, constantly in, in, in you know, physical confrontations with his father. This is a guy who, who at the same time had this ability for people to just gravitate to him. When you were around Jay McCauley, you want, there was something special about it. You couldn't put your finger on it. And I think, I think the, the most charming part about those stories, and I've got a ton of them. Like when his story came out, I got 200 emails this past week, messages on, on, you know, just showing the effects that he had in his story. But the, the I think what the, the greatest part about Jay is he was none the wiser of that ability. He, he, you know, he was just a quiet, keep to himself, and when things had to go down, he was the first one to jump to action to defend a friend. And, and, and that ultimately, you know, just, and it was so important to share his story because had he not done that, had we not, you know, come forward with this, if, if people like you, Chris, you know, read these stories who aren't just in Winnipeg and aren't just in Canada. I got notes from people all over in the States, in Europe who have caught in wind of, of Jay's story. I mean, he would have ultimately went down as a, a junkie that just... Mm-hmm. You know, it was a shithead. Instead, it was a guy who went through a life of pain 
and before he left and continues today to help people out. I mean, the, the, the feedback I've received, I mean, it, it's almost, it, it isn't almost, it's, it's extremely overwhelming. The stories I've heard people disclosing their own abuse or, or stories about encouraging others to do so. The, the fact of the matter is, Chris, is, is whether it's childhood trauma, sexual abuse, or substance abuse, I don't know many families that aren't directly affected by one or all of those things. So to put a face to it and to put a face and you know, we talk about how tough Jay is, and, and it brings a smile to my face and yours to talk about that, you know, that element of his life. It's the fact that he was that guy, that he was the toughest guy in the bar. He was the toughest guy in the room. He was the toughest guy in the, in the hockey, you know, in, in, in the hockey leagues that he played in. And it was him that went through this and it was him that had to go through these traumatizing yeah. events that puts a completely different spin on it. And it touches people in a much different way than maybe if it was somebody else. No. And you're right, Jeff. And that's one of the reasons why we're talking today. Like I said, like if you would have asked me a month ago, word association, Jay McCulley, tough guy beat me up. So I don't like him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Or he deserved it. Or, you know, that guy deserved it. Or, you know, you mean you just, you just, you take the, take the split second. Yeah. Like that's what I'm saying. Like, oh, he had this rough life. Well, that's just typical because he was a, he was a brawler and he was a bad seed. And like I said, to, to hear the kind of the story that led him down that road and then seeing the pictures of him in the press where you, where it's, it's gosh, I don't know, 30 odd years later and you see his face and it's the same face. It's the eyes. It's a little bit haunted, but that's the guy. And then to find out kind of why he went that way. And it's the same thing with Flurry. You mentioned Theron Flurry. And for those listening who don't know, Flurry won a Stanley Cup, I believe, in his very first season, 1989, with Calgary Flames. Like you mentioned, definite Hall of Famer material. Then had a lot of problems with substance abuse. I mean, I remember when I bounced at a bar in Calgary, Flurry was always there getting in scraps and fights. And we kind of became friends because of that. And then once again, Wow, Flurry sure is a bad seed. If he only could have kept his shit together, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. And then you realize the reason why he had these tendencies was because of all this pain that they suffered just as kids with this Graham James. It all, it's all the same going to Sheldon Kennedy too. Another guy, just substance abuse, drugged himself out of the league. But then you realize, you hear the reasons why. And it's like, man, all these guys went through this horrific things, which led them down this terrible path. I'll take it one step further. That's one of the elements to the grooming process, to the manipulation process that Graham James used against Theo Fleury, against Sheldon Kennedy, against Todd Holt, against a number of his victims. He he painted them out to be, you know, abusing drugs and alcohol. These 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 problem childs, these people that with only through his guidance and right. his mentorship. Could they could they release themselves of these demons that have come on them and 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 convince these people like Graham James could, used to go to Billitz's house like Todd Holt would go to like you know he'd go out he'd he'd miss curfew Graham James would use that as an excuse he'd go to the Todd Holt's Billitz house yell at the Billets tell them that they're horrible people and that he's taking Todd Holt home with him. and he would walk out with the player he would walk out with a player while the while the Billets parents the billet parents sat there dumbfounded you know feeling bad for for blaming themselves meanwhile this coach is sexually abusing these kids multiple times per week he did the same thing to sheldon kennedy he did the same thing to sheldon kennedy that everyone i mean sheldon kennedy was drinking like you know we all drank in our you know our late teens early 20s we all had a, a wicked time sheldon kennedy was drinking to survive and everyone know and he wasn't alone there was a guy by the name of Kimby Daniels. 
who was drinking more than anybody. He was a star player. He changed overnight. They were throwing pamphlets on his desk saying this, the, the, these guys have problems. And it was like, oh, these guys, you know, only my guidance, only my, only my, uh, you know, my leadership. And I mean, Timby's still friends with, with, with Graham James and claims not to be, a, to be, you know, one of the victims, which, you know, I've got to believe for what he says. Um, but it's just like he, he's, but even he painted Kimby Daniels as a problem child. So it wasn't just necessarily the kids that he was abusing, that he was using these tactics on. He was taking any little vulnerability and maximizing it for his own gain. And, and just to explain a billet is kind of like a foster home for players totally. where they would stay if they lived in Winnipeg and went to Swift Current billets would be there. T- so they would have a place to, to live. That would be kind of, and their parents would. Or adults would take in these kids uh, for the season. Massive fans of the team. They're kind of yeah. like, you know, it, it, sometimes it's someone on the board or sometimes it's just, it's people who are so dedicated to the community and, and specifically to the, to the hockey team that year in and year out um, because all these kids, and that's the thing about junior hockey too, which is one of the things that you don't really see as much in the States is that you have these 15, 15 year olds getting drafted all over the country. They're not from that, you know, if they're lucky enough to play for the, if they're lucky enough to have a WHL team in their city and lucky enough to get drafted by that team or selected by that team or picked up by that team. That's one thing, but more often than not, you you have to go somewhere else. So they need to stay somewhere. You know, obviously parents, families don't move. So yeah, it's a billet's role. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's talk more about James being Swift Current. So Swift Current is a um, smaller town kind of uh where is it between winnipeg and calgary sort of yeah like so yeah it's in saskatchewan it's kind of an opposite uh, different ways from regina but yeah i'd say yeah it's in you know center saskatchewan essentially so in swift current obviously the broncos that's the main you know that that's the main attraction in town now james was the coach for many many years there and obviously, rumors have to start getting out, and with these kids, and, and there's there's a whole bunch of stuff we can talk about. Jeff, there's a time when the when the players stood up for James, and the general manager basically didn't listen. But how is he getting away with this stuff when people have to know that there's that there's shit going on? I should take a deep breath here. I don't want to take too yeah. much of this podcast, but like, so you're right. So by the time he was. By the time he got to Swift Current, that was where he ultimately rose to his height, his right? So he, be- yeah, his prominence. So he got everything that he wanted. So he was the head coach, but most importantly, he was the head coach and general manager. Right. So he had player decisions and he had the coaching decisions. So people who don't necessarily know the difference in relationship, the general manager is essentially his job is to obtain the talent, work with the scouts and provide the head coach with the players. Right. And then the play, the coach's job is then to take the team and, and get the best out of them. Well, when you have both roles, you control everything. You can control players' destiny and you control their ice time when they're on the ice. So you control kind of everything. You can trade them. All those decisions are yours. 
So we talk about the rumors, and there were certainly rumors swirling, but it's the years before he arrived at Swift Current where the rumors were running rampant, whether it was in Winnipeg when he was coaching for the Canadians. Um, as you'll notice in Chapter 5, there's an incident that happens in the summer of 1978 where Graham James is a substitute teacher. He takes a couple kids camping and tries to make a move on a very confident 16-year-old, and that 16-year-old is staring him back in the face and saying, what the are you doing? And that leads to him telling his father, his father at the time being working for the St. James School Division, the same school division that Graham James is, is uh, a substitute teacher despite not having a degree. And, you know, he, you know, there's some talks amongst the parents, but it's ultimately all kept in house to him going to, uh, you know, for him going to Moose Jaw. So the Swift Current wasn't even the first WHL team he was a part of. He was part of the Winnipeg Warriors in 1983. And if you and there's an incident where it's Graham James, and this is part of a class action lawsuit that's currently in place for the Canadian Hockey League, the CHL, which is the umbrella organization of the Western Hockey League, the Ontario Hockey League, and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. So they're just an umbrella company that looks after the three Junior A um, leagues in, in, in Canada. So so he, he, it wasn't even Swift Current was the first place. It was Moose Jaw. And Moose Jaw, uh, the general manager at the time, was a man by the name of Barry Trapp. He came in and he starts call. He gets hired as GM. I think Graham James is probably a bit miffed. He's hoping he can kind of play that dual role, but he's now the head coach of the team. And he starts coming in saying, well, what's the first thing you got to do as a GM? You got to start figuring out who your players are. So and, and who your coach is. So he calls Graham James and says, hey, I'm in town this weekend. Let's get together. Let's talk about the team and, and, and figure out, you know, start getting the ball rolling for this upcoming season. Graham goes, sorry, Barry, can't can't do that. I, I, have, I have a trip with friends down south. I'm going to Minneapolis to cover some ball game or, or to go watch some ball game. Barry Trapp going, perfect. I'm a sport guy. I love baseball. I'll come down to Minneapolis with you. No, 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 no. Not one of those trips. These are friends. You know, we'll, we'll do hockey when we get back. So what does Barry Trapp do? He gets on the phone and starts calling players. Well, a couple houses he hits are parents whose sons are actually in Minneapolis with Graham James going to these baseball games. So Barry Trapp, I mean, he's gotten his antenna come out. And a lot of people give Barry Trapp credit for kind of eliminating Graham James there because he ultimately went to the board and said, look, I don't trust this guy. And they said, okay, fine, he's gone. So actually they didn't fire him. They demoted him to assistant coach knowing Graham James's ego was too big to stick around. And ultimately he left. Mm. And uh, the reason I bring up this story is that that's where that stopped. And then he comes back to Winnipeg. And what does he do? He convinced Sheldon Kennedy to come back to Winnipeg and play for an inferior team with the Winnipeg South Blues. So at this point in time, you know, Graham's now doesn't have a job. So who does he get? He gets hired by Winnipeg South Blues and brings Sheldon Kennedy with them. And then the Winnipeg South Blues pay Graham James rent money to live with Sheldon Kennedy and, and, and ignore the fact that he's not even going to high school. He barely attended school wow. living with this coach. And, and, and these guys, these guys know. And, and so it's just, it's like the rumors are swirling all over the place. And then it's from Winnipeg after he leads that team to a championship that he gets hired on in Swift Crane. And we didn't even bring up, and uh, you know, and this is going to go wait. Uh, uh, this is going to disrupt the timeline. It was in 1983 that Graham James got his first scouting, full-time scouting job with the Winnipeg Warriors. And there's, as I was mentioning that CHL lawsuit, there is a affidavit in there from a, me a team member who, who states on the record he was scouted by Graham James, convinced to come to Winnipeg, and then was billeted by, with a man by the name of 
Edmund Olivier Olivier or whatever Olivier Olivier whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he was a convicted pedophile. He had he had been charged years before, and he was being hooked up from Graham James to live with this guy. And this guy was terrorized by his billet to the point where he woke up one night when they when he invited him out to go drinking with this billet parent in his bed. He went to night. He went to bed every night putting a dresser in front of his door before he went to bed and complained to the general manager. And that was in 83. Fast forward few years, and this guy is now getting the opportunity to go to Swift Current. And if you can hear the passion and, and, and volume in my voice, it's because I've entrenched myself in this absolute bullshit for three years. Right. And it's, and it's just, you know, people shake their heads, but it's, it's incredible that this story is not like, I mean, and Graham James is out free. He's a free man. Yeah. No, let's take a step back too, Jeff. And not only is Graham James a free man now after doing minimal time in prison, but during this time frame when all this stuff is going on, he's named, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, but he's named the Hockey News Man of the Year for, for his accomplishments with the Swift Current Broncos. How is this happening? Was it just a different time in the 80s? Did nobody give a shit? Like, what, how is this allowed to happen? So this is a massive, important piece, and this sure as hell isn't an excuse, but it is an important piece to the context of this, and that's perspective right. at different times of, of the world. If you were to look at what happened with Graham James through a 2021 lens, I mean, it's be just as sickening and just as despicable, but it would be unforgivable. And again, that's not to say that the 70s was forgivable, but the ideas around homosexuality, and I want to make something very, very, very clear. And it's sad that you have to in 2021, but homosexuality and being a predator are two different things. James, Graham James was a homosexual, is a homosexual, and he's also a predator. Right. So that doesn't always follow that line, but that's the case. But when you think of like the reason why you think about these things is because back then when you dealt with homosexuality, it's our, there's still a stigma around it today. Sadly, the stigma around it in the late seventies and eighties was even more prominent. Obviously people didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to be associated with it. They didn't want anything to do with it. So even if you're, you know, even if your son was, you know, came home and told their father, look, this is what happened to me. This is the situation I was in. There would be, you know, the response from the father might be the same and that it might be anger, wanting to do something, maybe uh, elicit, you know, physical pain on that person. But the actual ability to come forward and share that story publicly was non-existent. Like you didn't do it. And you didn't do it for a number of reasons. You didn't want to be associated with, with, with that kind of thing. And you didn't want to screw up your son's opportunity in hockey. And sadly, those are the things that kind of still right. exist today is you didn't want to quote unquote disrupt the apple cart for a player that was on a trajectory to do something special. And the result of coming forward would ultimately, you know, put you into that category with Graham James. That was the ultimate fear, but the context is important. It's context is important in not just, you know, bystanders response the people who knew things heard rumors stuff like that but also in what i call the perfect storm for graham james graham james and, and you'll read this in chapter two of the series i go back and i talk to his, his a bunch of friends from high school i try to figure out how did this young kid become the monster that he later would become and graham james had an upbringing very very similar um, to a lot of kids but also very very similar to 
the victims that he preyed on. He had a horrible relationship with his father. His father was was uh, was extremely violent and dangerous. And this is described by many people. One person said he never even heard the guy laugh before. Graham James lived in a basement in, in an unfinished room, in a room in an unfinished basement. That was his escape. But the reality is, is that this guy was not unlike most people, yet he created these skills, like very intelligent, you know, narcissistic, all these things that he used that time. He was, edged, you know, when you, these monsters out there that, you know, are preying on these kids are using all this contextual stuff to their advantage, the confusion, knowing that kids aren't going to go forward, knowing that even if it happens, they might, it's, it's not even a question of whether they're going to go forward. It's a question of whether they understand what's actually happening. Like no one talked about this in schools, nobody. And particularly, this will be my last point on this is particularly when it involved the game of hockey, which is Canada's tradition and a male preying on another male that was Sexual assault was viewed as mostly in that era as young girls being victimized by quote unquote troubled families. And Graham James ripped the, the curtain back on what actually, you know, this is the guy, the guy who's adored by parents and players. And it, you know, he's not the monster looking, lurking in the shadows. He's the guy right staring you right in front of you, coaching your kids. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Tell the story, one of your um, columns and parts to, to the overall thing. It was your, the team comes forward and says, "We're not going to play for this guy anymore," and kind of explain kind of what went what went down in that situation. So I appreciate the opportunity to do that because there's some good points here. Um, so, so a man by the name of Darren McLean, who I have an ab, you know a ton of respect for, he was a uh, an older player who joined the Broncos. You know, he he had dreams of of playing university in the states rather than because no one in his family, had, I think, had, had graduated from university, and then he went to a U.S. campus. And because he was, you know, Winnipeg's a pretty, you know, it's a smaller city. This guy's from Estevan, Saskatchewan, which is like, you know, a very, very, very small, your epitome of a very small prairie town. Right. So once he visited that American college, it was like, whoa, this is too overwhelming. So he went and joined the Broncos. So he, he's best friends with Todd Holt, one of the guys he'd mentioned, one of the survivors. He's in a dorm room and Todd Holt, for the first time in a long time, goes, I don't want to dorm with the guy that I'm dorming with on road trips because Graham, and he ultimately wanted this because Graham James was had an adjoining room in a hotel and was going in between the doors, sexually abusing both players on the other side. So he finally says, I don't want, I want to be with Darren McLean. Darren McLean's my best friend. They both grew up in Estevan, Saskatchewan, kind of in the surrounding areas, but play hockey together in Estevan, Saskatchewan. And they're, they have one night of heavy drinking. They're laying on a hotel bed. And that's when Todd Holt says, Graham James is abusing me. He's sexually assaulting. Can you imagine hearing that conversation at what, two in the morning and your best yeah. friend on your team is telling you he's sexually, being sexually abused by his coach? At that point in time, Darren thought if anything was going on, it might be consensual. Now, you know, 
why does he say something like that? Because Todd isn't necessarily displaying, you know, the signs of being because these guys compartmentalize this stuff. As I mentioned earlier, they do come to care about their coach because they're manipulated. It's like a psycho thriller movie. Like if you don't understand it, that's probably because you can't understand it and you shouldn't be able to understand it because it's hard to understand. So anyways, to speed up the story, Darren finally does something. And Darren actually had an incident himself prior to with Graham in the shower when he got picked up. He had a shoulder injury when he arrived in Swift Current, was working one-on-one after practice. Graham James snuck into the shower despite having his own coach's shower with Darren at the time and flicked him in the penis twice before he grabbed him and shoved him up against a wall and told him not to touch mm-hmm. him. So Darren, anyways, fast forward, Darren go- now is, gets the leadership group, which includes Captain Rick Gerard, and they convince, they finally get together and go, look, Graham's doing this. This is a problem. We need to address it. They finally go to the general manager, Doug Mosher and our, you know, our assistant general manager, Graham James is the general manager and say, look, this is the situation. You know, this is what Darren is saying that Todd told him. And we think there's actually more players. I want to make something real clear here. There was a culture in Graham James that he manipulated that I had a player tell me the second year that, and so this is near the end of his, his tenure would have been the mid nineties in, in Swift Current. The second year, the year after the bus crash, that they had in the first year that killed four players. A player told me, one of the victims who hasn't come forward, told me that there was nine players who were being sexually abused in year two in Swift Current. And these players are long gone. You only play junior hockey for three, maximum four years. So this is now in the mid-90s. They finally get the leadership together. They talk to Doug Mosher. There's a meeting that night. It's him and President John Rittinger. And they say, look, same thing I just said. Everything's going on. Okay, we want Graham gone. They meet the next morning at the rink before practice, just the small leadership group, not everybody. And they start, you know, they come in, same guys, Mosher and, and, um, and Rittinger, um, both of whom died. Uh, Rittinger's still alive, sorry. M- M- Mosher died in 2008, I believe. They, they kind of do this whole thing again. The players go, nope, this is what we want. We want him gone. John Rittinger comes in and says, I've talked to Graham. You know, we're going to give him a chance to address the team here. One last chance. And Darren steps up and goes, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? What's going on here? And John Rittinger looks him square in the face and says, Darren, you haven't been here long enough to make decisions on behalf of this team. Graham has seen this team through thick and thin. We're giving him the opportunity to address the team. So Graham, being the master manipulator that he is, walks into the dressing room and starts singling out each guy and telling them that he, they would be nothing without his help, that they wouldn't have been drafted in this round of the NHL draft if it wasn't for Graham James. And and you got to remember, these kids are 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. The fatigue and the responsibility that they were put in in this era at this oh, yeah. moment is unbelievable. So obviously just broken down, tired, wanting to play hockey, because you also have to remember this part. Kids at that age, even today, it's a team sport, but it's very individualistic at the highest rankings because the difference of you making the NHL and how few people do is razor thin, even with a teammate. So everyone's in their own world and no one wants to jeopardize their own, you know, and that's why I have so much respect for Darren McLean. So anyways, Graham comes in, calls everyone out one by one. They all go finally, you know what, screw it, fine you know, whatever, goes to Darren. He goes, absolutely not. He stands up. He goes, I don't care if you guys can respect him for what he's done in hockey, but I sure as hell can't. And, and the man that he is, screw that, yada, yada, yada. Well, what happens is after that is Rittinger goes, you, you know, this is a vote. He took this showdown as a vote that they've decided and that there was enough shit they had to deal with during the season that this, that they didn't have this ruining things. But the understanding 
was that Graham James would have been gone by the end of that season, that they just let's, let's drag out the rest of the year. And then after this, he's gone. So that was Rick Girard's kind of solace in all this as a 19 year old who just returned from the world junior hockey championships, getting a gold with Canada that now has to put this weight on his shoulders, thinking this is all good. And what followed after that was Darren got called to the office literally minutes after this vote. And he was cut from the team on the spot and called a cancer and he was gone. So the guy, who the guy that who had who Todd Holt had told the information to and had all the details was now nowhere to be seen. Right. And this isn't the mid nineties. This isn't cell phone time. This isn't video time. There isn't a guy in the locker room who's got his phone in his pocket with record on and 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 you know with all this evidence. They cut him a check for the money he would have made in the summer for the job that he had already earned. And he said, see you later. He said, Fuck you all, I hate you. And he left. And so what happened after that was Rick Sherrard now just knowing what he knows from Darren McLean and kind of feeling uncomfortable. And here's the other thing. It's not like Todd Holt's going out with a megaphone and telling all his teammates what's happening. This is a very sensitive thing and a massive thing that he actually told one of his teammates. So the information for Rick Sherrard is that Graham James is abusing this player and likely more others, but the details aren't there. So what follows after that is multiple conversations with Rittinger, who again is the team president, who brought Graham James in in the first place, and then WHL commissioner Ed Chenault. Ed Chenault is on the phone, the WHL commissioner, and just to be damn clear with you, you uh, Chris, there is a history of sexual co- of, of abuse coaches. Uh, Brian Shaw in Portland, Google him. Go Google sexual assault during the WHL during the years. It was it was it's bad. And so you're having conversations with a player who's telling you about Graham James, but guess what their out is? Their out is no players have come forward. No one is, is coming here and putting their name on it. And they have absolutely no interest in doing an investigation. Heaven forbid it blows up this small town's dirty little secret for the last eight years. Right. And what it entails. So th- what do they do? They just put their, they sit on their hands and they say, screw it. And one more, one step further, if you can even fathom this for a second, you know, that promise that Graham James would be gone from Swift Current. Oh yeah. They, they lived up to that promise. He was gone from Swift Current, but it was John Rittinger, again, the president of that team who joined him in Ed Chanel, giving him the newest WHL team in the Calgary Hitman. So Ed Chanel, after those conversations, and Rick Sherrard is quoted as saying eight times he talked to, to John Rittinger and Ed Chanel, and eight times was, was talking about new coaches, about what had happened. After all of that, they decide to give those two men the newest WHL team for an entire new crop of kids to come out. Wow. Yeah, just a couple things, and we'll talk about the Hitman in a second. It's crazy, not crazy, but you see where the manipulation comes. If you stand up to me, you'll be kicked off the team like Darren McLean was. So once again, that makes it even harder to stand up because your whole future is on the line. And then, like you said, the league won't say anything either because they don't want it to blow up because it's the dirty little secret of the WHL, like you mentioned. So he just continues to just get off on all of these things because nobody has the guts to say anything because they want to risk their future. That, that's unbelievable. What, what a cycle of, of manipulation, like you said. And there's even one more, one other part there that you're missing is that Graham James was well-respected amongst hockey men, not just in junior, but in the NHL too. He was working as NHL scouts. And it was, and, and if, and if, if you kind of look at that situation when in, you know, 10 years later after, or a couple of years after that meeting incident, 
Sheldon Kennedy comes forward and he's pegged a liar. Right. He's pegged a drunk liar and he's just blaming Graham James for why he he didn't, you know, he didn't have the NHL career that many would project. The disbelief was rampant. As much as there was supporters, as much as there was supporters out there, then there was a shit ton. You know, the general public, their hearts broke with Sheldon Kennedy when they watched him break down and share his story, which he shared over and over and over and over again. And there's no one, there's, there's not many people I respect more than Sheldon Kennedy in this world and the, and the stuff that he had to take on. But it's the people that were hockey, the people that who made the decisions, the quiet minority, the ones who had power and influence that were programmed James. Yeah. That couldn't believe it. And Graham was calling people. He was calling people before Sheldon Kennedy came forward. There's a whole part of that too, but that's, you talk about manipulation. That is the effect of manipulation that you had that not only can you come out and get accused by young men, but you have grown men who then look at that and go, nah, the kid's lying. There's no way Graham did that. Well, once again, he, he was the, the man of the year in, in the hockey news, which is kind of the, 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 the Bible of the NHL as far as press goes. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you're talking about the Calgary Hitmen, there's obviously the tie-in because Bret Hart was involved the hitman, duh, that comes directly from Brad Hart, which is kind of the face of the ownership. Absolutely. But you mentioned, you know, Graham James is involved in that. Uh, Joe Sackick was one of the owners there. There was a lot of a tie-in kind of uh, for that. And then Fleury as well, wasn't he? Joe Sackick, Fleury, uh, Anders Hedberg, an old Winnipeg Jet. Uh, Sheldon Kennedy was in for it, got his money back. Um, he was only in for a thousand dollars, but like, you know, you had guys, you know, you had guys with way bigger investments and yeah, a lot of, a lot of big NHL names, hundred percent. So basically re- rewarding Graham James, because when, once again, too, that's the, the elephant in the room that the, one of the rumors is that Sackick was one of the guys that was also abused, but he, he never came forward. And, and, and if that's true, that's completely up to him, but you do have Kennedy and Flurry involved. They're still wrapped up with this guy. They, they, it's like they could never escape him. And, you know, and I, I don't think you can. I mean, I, I, it, it's, you know, I, I don't think it's an embracing that reality per se. But if you look at what Sheldon Kennedy's and he's dedicated his life for, to, to advocating for, for, you know, sexual abuse, bullying, harassment is, is, is um, his company now, Respect, Respect Group Inc. is the number one leading, you know, sports program to inform parents, to, to educate coaches. It's not just sports and hockey. It's also in the workplace. It's also, you know, provided to school systems as well. So, you know, I mean, Theo Fleury continues to do his work as well. You know, he does a lot of great recovery work. And I know that he, you know, he, you know, given his, his, obviously his history and his past and and, and his success in the NHL, you know, People prop up and listen to a guy like Theo Fleury, so he's con- continued to run, grab that torch and run. But the fact is, Chris, is that there are a lot of people. There's some people in the NHL who are now out of the NHL that were victims of Graham James. You know, I, I don't know anything about Joe Sack or anything like that, so that isn't a comment towards that whatsoever. But there's also a lot of people that Graham James hung out. Graham James was hanging out with kids. You know, when you talk to experts and you look at you look at the charges, even so, the earliest charge that Graham James 
um, had was while, well, you know, it wasn't at the time, obviously, but it was while he was serving the three and a half year sentence for, for Sheldon Kennedy, he pled guilty. He pleaded guilty to an indecent assault charge, a sexual assault charge, essentially, of a 14 year old in 1971. Graham was 19 years old at the time. So, and, and that was, and you talk to experts, he would have been harvesting those skills, you know, fine tuning those manipulation skills as early as like 12, 13 years old. And, and in the story, he used to write personality reports on people, scouting reports on kids, hang out there, you know, kids that he coached would hang out at their front doorstep till at six in the morning and wait for them to come out. Like this was a guy who was so obsessed with the mind and manipulating people that, you know, we talk about, you know, guys in the NHL and stuff and guys who came through the team. There's an entire decade between 1971 and ultimately, his first, you know, the the charge of of uh, you know when when things occurred with you know during the eighties, right, with with Sheldon Kennedy. So there's an entire decade essentially in Winnipeg that's just not accounted for, right? And there's trust me, the guy Graham James did not take a break from his actions during those years. So much to kind of digest here, Jeff. But so so you mentioned that that James got a three and a half year sentence. What was the catalyst to finally get this guy up on charges? Because like you talked about, Sheldon Kennedy was the first guy to come out. People were against him. Like you mentioned, it's, it, he's just blaming his, his failures on Graham. He's a homosexual, which he is not, because that was another thing that was tied in with like, well, if you were doing this with Graham, obviously you're, you're a homosexual as well. And once again, who cares if you are or you aren't, but he was still painted with this very uh, broad brush that really had nothing to do with his case. So what finally tipped the, the cart, so to speak, where James did get a sentence, even though it was a minimal one? It was simple. It was, um, so I had mentioned that, um, Sheldon had been, you know, a very, very, very minor, um, uh, investor in the Calgary Hitman. So he was in Calgary and he had just had his daughter, Ryan, with his, his ex-wife. He's got a, still has a good relationship with Jana. And so he now has a child of his own. So his life is no longer just about him and his partner. He now has this child that he's responsible for. And, you know, it, this is in, this is in Sheldon's book. And, you know, Sheldon shared this obviously with me. Um, you know, he was in the saddle dome where the, where the hitmen were also playing and he saw Graham, he looked over as like a hallway. He saw Graham James talking to younger kids, kids at, at his age that were 14, 15 years old. And he saw it playing over and over and over in his mind. And at that moment, it was, am I going to be the guy who sits here and watches this? Like what father, what man am I going to be? And he made that decision and he went to the Calgary Police Department and over a series of months, he shared and disclosed his information. And it was a very difficult situation. It, it was, you know, as I mentioned to you, it was kind of like a dirty secret among players that, you know, as much as my investigation reveals and it reveals a lot, there's a lot more out there. There's a lot more that if you in, you're in the culture, we're talking multiple players, multiple years, that kind of scale of abuse. So when you only have one guy, and I mean, the police dealt with major issues, right? And as soon as Sheldon Kennedy's name came, became public, is I think it was the Calgary, yeah, it was the Calgary Sun that kind of went against protocol against you don't you don't you know you don't name sexual. Yeah, they named they named him before they were supposed to. Yeah, and and, and then that kind of got people prepared, and so the, you know the cops were and and the, the cops were now looking at all these stops, right? Because Sheldon Kennedy started in Winnipeg. Okay. It went out to Moose Jaw. He came back to Winnipeg. He went out to Swift Current. Like there's all these places and all this information now that they're getting. That's not just about Sheldon, but about other, you know, other incidents as well. So they have this long list and they're calling players and they're kind of met with the same thing. 
I know what you're looking for. I kind of know, you know, I kind of knew something was going on, but I didn't want to be, you know, I could have been the guy like Darren McLean who was told to, to yeah. get out of here in a cancer and all this stuff, or, or just straight up, I'm not looking to help. You also have to understand these people are scattered all over North America and Europe playing hockey. So, you know, so it's, it's, it's all of a sudden this, this hunt. And unfortunately they couldn't get anyone else except for, you know, this unnamed player who, you know, kudos to, to come forward as well and to back up. Cause I think what they needed was they needed someone to back up Sheldon's story. Sure. Of course. Of course. Yeah. So you have this, you know, this unnamed player come forward. And so, you know, that was kind of like, okay, we're kind of doing this hunt. The crown wants to go. And ultimately what happened is as as what happened every single incident with Graham James. And it's the reason why an investigation like this is so needed is because there wasn't like, yes, you get testimony, you get massively heart wrenching testimonies from, from the survivors. Absolutely. But you don't get an understanding of how he manipulated and did all those things. When you, when you settle with plea deals, when it's all plead, not only did, yes, it was, it was a landmark in a certain way. It was in a certain way. It was a good thing because Graham James was, Finally, because once, you know, there's still people who support Graham James to this day, but a lot of those people, once Graham James said, yes, I did this and took the plea, his support system dropped off a cliff, right? So that was important. It was important that he spent time behind bars. That was important. But the ultimate, the, the reality is it was a massive disappointment three and a half years because he was out of jail on parole in 18 months. Wow. And you're saying, you're saying because he took the plea deal, they didn't have a chance to e- examine him on the stand sort of thing. Stand, testimony, bringing people, coaches, you know, all those things. And he wanted to prevent that. It's an obvious reason that Graham James wanted to prevent that. How, who helped him? Who did certain things? What kind of, what did he have on certain people? Who knows? But I'll tell you this is that Graham James put up a bit of a fight after, after that little bit, right? He put up a little bit of a fight, didn't, didn't go down, you know, he went down swinging. He started calling other victims, telling them to shut their mouths if, if police call. And you know what? It, it, it's enough to make your blood boil, absolutely. But he had the support. He called friends. He called friends and told them that, like, this is a lie. You know, Sheldon Kennedy just out to get me. I can't believe he, he, would, he would turn his back on me like he did. To the point where he had Hockey Manitoba, the governing hockey organization in the province I live in, believing that Sheldon Kennedy was a fraud. Hmm. That he was a liar. And how dare somebody, you know, go against Graham James, the city's, you know. Golden child, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite hockey son or whatever, whatever euphemism you want to use. Yeah. And, and so, you know, like that was, that was the reality. I mean, he, he, I mean, he ended up to the point, Chris, where he started calling his friends. Now, I don't have proof, exact proof of the phone call, but there's no coincidence that the man he hired. Okay, to me, there's no coincidence that the man that he hired, this is my opinion, as his general manager when he got a job with the Fort Gary Blues, who later turned into the Winnipeg South Blues, was George Elliott, a Winnipeg lawyer. George Elliott then hired Graham James in 1985 to come back after he, after what Barry Trapp discovered in Moose Jaw, hired him to come back with Sheldon Kenny and the one that authorized that, that Graham James would get rent. Well, they ignored the fact Sheldon Kenny didn't go to didn't go to school. And, and, and oh, oh, and they were such good friends that they used to do cross country trips, driving trips from Winnipeg to go see Graham's family in PEI. Anyone who's ever been in a car, that is a massive road trip. No one just drives from Winnipeg to PEI. That was the relationship 
that George Elliott had with Graham James. And so there's this, you know, that moment I told you about, you know, finally saw the kid in, in, in the hallway and everything. That was the moment that he told Janet, his wife, his then wife. And J- Graham James called their house and Janet exposed him and said, I know what you're doing. I know what you've done. And Graham was trying to convince her, no, it's blah, blah, blah. She's telling him, obviously, that, you know, beat it and whatever. And then that would have been early 1996. So we, uh, the charges weren't filed until fall 1996. In between those months, George Elliott became, and what, what has been described by me by multiple people as a coup, became the president of Hockey Manitoba. Literally, well, he knew, you know, I suspect he definitely knew, but that's, again, my opinion. And until George Elliott wants to talk to people, I guess we'll never know. Would have known that unless it was just a mere coincidence that Graham James was about to get charged, George Elliott was now overseeing Hockey Manitoba's response to Graham James. He was being quoted, quoted in the papers. And I'm thinking to myself, these reporters here, they must know George Graham James has known George Elliott since the late 70s when he used to coach against him. Surely he knows. Surely somebody in Hockey Manitoba must go, must go, hey. Is this the right situation? Is this the right situation to have Graham James, one of his closest friends, look after the investigation? Here's the other part. This was this this wasn't even in the series, and it, I hated the fact it wasn't in the series. The past president of Hockey Manitoba, who stays on with that group as past president, and who he took over for, was Sheldon Lanchbury. Sheldon Lanchbury is a Manitoba judge today. Mm. So I'm not saying Sean Lansbury knew things per se about Graham James, but he was a lawyer in Deloraine, Manitoba. He was a lawyer, surely a lawyer if anybody knows what conflict of interest is. Right. So you now are allowing as the past president. And, and, and so where does Sheldon Lansbury go? He doesn't just disappear. He's now running the harassment policy committee for Hockey Canada. My goodness. And you know what's even worse, Chris? Is that prior to that, years before Sheldon Candy came forward, Hockey Manitoba was already broken. Because the attitudes at Hockey Manitoba around sexual abuse were pretty much, with evidence, non-existent. And why is that? Because there were teachers who were part of Hockey Manitoba who were convicted or suspected of abuse or fired for abusing kids. There was a longtime referee by the name of Danny Castles was taking a grade eight student from Hartney Collegiate and having sex with her five times a week, up to five times a week in an abandoned home. He was the ref. He was a referee in Hockey Manitoba and lived in the same communities. Hartney and Deloraine are pretty much a sneeze away from each other. There was a man by the name of Jack Forsyth, who was the who later became president of Hockey Manitoba. At this point, I think he was vice president or was on his way up to one of those. He was fired from the same high school for abusive behavior against kids in 1993. And what does the, what does Hockey Manitoba, which was the Manitoba Amateur Hockey Association prior to being named Hockey Manitoba, they named Jack's foresight the volunteer of the year. The same year he was fired as principal of Hartney Collegiate. All right, you mentioned Graham James is now a free man, which is ridiculous after doing only 18 months in prison. Could Graham get charged again and perhaps do more time? 
So there, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can certainly, you know, spend more time behind bars. It, there, there are some, you know, and I hate saying there's some dependence because we just don't know. The laws were, kind, were, were certainly embarrassing back then. They're still somewhat embarrassing now, but they're getting better. I think there, there's a school of thought in the legal community that, you know, Graham was essentially sentenced in a combined 10 and a half years. And had he had that many victims that he's has, he, pro- he might not get 10 and a half years in jail, you know, but there's also the op- certainly the opportunity, particularly because they also kind of clump them into times. And then this isn't, you know, this is why you got to be careful, right? Because if you were on Swift Current and you were, you know, you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, okay, well, I don't really want to come forward, you know, because if it's not going to lead to anything, yada, 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 that's not the case. But if, you know, th- there are things where right now there's a certain timeline of when he abused, right? So you have to ask the question, like how many people, and he asked me that question. I say, it doesn't matter. I say, you give him a sentence for each and every person, obviously. Right, of course. But the law might group them in together. Like I remember describing to me, like, you know, if you murdered 10 people, it's the same as murdering 20 people. Like it gets to a certain point where they just kind of stop. And that's in Canada, to be clear. Gotcha. In the States, Graham James would never see the, the light of day. Yeah. Like he, he would be, you know, he'd be in the Jerry Sandusky. Consecutive and, life sentences. Consecutive, yeah. yeah. And just like he would be, he wouldn't be getting, he wouldn't be getting three and a half years for sure, for Sheldon Kennedy. And then all, obviously for all the subsequent abuses, charges and, and convictions that he later got. But the reality is, is that, you know, this is like, not saying that you need to find someone, but there are that there's that 10 years in Winnipeg. If, where you become a dangerous offender is in different periods. So if you can prove kind of like an entire continuous thing. So it's, I'm not going to say there's an added value to, you know, a person who was abused in Winnipeg earlier on versus someone who, who had to go through those horrendous acts while in swift current, they all will add up. And Graham James will like, he's still held accountable for it. And accountability is a very important thing, right? It adds to it. Courage of coming forward. All those things, the positive things of coming forward are, are, you know, are endless. I also understand the struggles. I also understand each person is going to deal with it the best way they know how I will say this. On, on that line is that the people I've talked to, whether it be survivors, whether it be people who have worked in this industry, you know, in this industry for, for decades, it's that, you know, it doesn't go away. Right. So it, like it never disappears. And more often than not, tell, sharing your story is ultimately the first step to real recovery. So again, I'm not trying to suggest that you can't recover and that people haven't tried. That's just the information that I've kind of received more regularly. So where is he now, James? Said to be living in Montreal. You know, it's, uh, there's some people who aren't all that surprised that the places he chooses are Quebec. He lived in Spain for a period of time in Mexico. Um, and again, I got to be careful here, but right. you know, the, their, their sex laws aren't exactly the same as other places. So, um, you know, from what I understand, living in Montreal, working for a tech company, apparently, you know, what does that mean in Montreal? Couldn't tell you. I don't know if it's sales or if he's in front of the camera, you know, to me, I, I don't really know what, you know, what, no one really knows what he's doing. What, you know, there's rumors that he changed his, his name to Michael, which is his middle name. Regardless of where he is, yeah. he's got the freedom to do whatever he wants. That's incomprehensible. But the last few things for you, Jeff, you mentioned uh, Theron Fleury and, and, and why is he not in the hockey hall of fame? Because his stats are, are ridiculous. He's got over a thousand points, uh, you know, eighteen hundred penalty minutes for a guy that was five foot six and just won a Stanley Cup and all the and a gold medal and was just the lifeblood of every team he was on. Why is he not in the Hockey Hall of Fame? Now, I mean, you'd have to sit down and talk to the people with the influence and stuff to get the real in answer. Your opinion, but I, I mean, no, it's a no, 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 of course, of course, that's not a cop out on the answer. 
just kind of, a, a, you know, to tell you, I don't know, but my, my strong indication, and I mean, I don't know if anyone's followed. I think it's, you know, the book, you know, the book exposes a lot of names. It, it, it puts uh. hockey in a, you know, obviously a negative spotlight. Um, it drags people in who have influence, you know, guys like Joe Sackick are in there, you know, just even mentioning him probably has a bit of a ripple effect with Hockey Canada right. and those decision makers and just kind of exposing hockey for what it was, essentially, what junior hockey was and kind of continues to be with the class action lawsuit. Now, not everything bad. This isn't an anti-hockey thing, but, you know, the, the reality is, is, you know, Theo Fleury deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, not only like his pe- is his points speak for themselves, but the fact the guy did it at the height and weight that he was at in an era where it wasn't like today, yeah. Theo Fleury would flourish even more so than he already did today. You kidding me? You think people were cool with a five, six, 145, 50 pound forward dominating them on the ice? That guy had to get murdered every game to survive. And I mean, ultimately, what it comes down to, in my opinion, now, particularly in 2021, why he hasn't been inducted, hockey's worried about what he'll say. Mm. He's worried about what he'll use the platform for. I think Theo's come out and said that he wouldn't abuse that and yada, yada, yada. But go on Theo's Twitter and, you know, I mean, it's, you know, he's he's a very passionate guy. He's a very opinionated guy. So, um, again, I'm not confirming any of that stuff as fact, but I just, you know, it's hard. It's hard not to go there when you think about it. Last couple of questions. I mean, Jeff, obviously you're very passionate about this subject and um, you did a great job in kind of encapsulating everything, exposing a lot, but also informing a lot. Uh, is this something that, that, that you'll ever be able to let go after being so ensconced in it? I'm assuming you never met Graham James. If you ever did, what would you say? What would you want him to, to know that you discovered after all this? Yeah, so this became a calling uh, for me. You know, you don't do this thing for three years and it, and and have it not change you. Like I don't want right. to get too, you know, bore your listeners with too many specifics. But you carry the pain of the people you talk to. You don't live the same experiences as them, obviously, but a piece of them comes with you. And I talk to a lot of people who who they're the reason I get up every morning. They're my motivation. They're you know these people have gone through absolute hell, and it's not one of those things where I look at oh you know my problems are way less than these guys' problems. It's the appreciation for these people and what they've done in their life and what they've been through. So it's not really a choice for me anymore. You know that you know I'm not going to say sports has become mundane to me. I love sports. I still love the game of hockey, but there's bigger things to do now. There's, there's greater change. I mean, mm-hmm. we, you know, whether it's the stories that have changed me, like, you know, you carry these things, like it does things to your physical body. Like I, I couldn't count the amount of times I was in the shower where you're not sad. You've just dealt with so much things that your only body release is to just have tears come down your eyes. Like, it's not, like I said, I'm not sitting there like wailing. It's just like that. It's just, you feel it. And so when you get mm-hmm. those callings and then, and then you read the letters, you read the emails, you read the, the people who are, who are emotional with you, sharing their experiences, sharing what they've been through, sharing the positives and the meaning behind what you're doing and what you're saying. You can't just go back to covering scores anymore. Adversity, Chris, takes on an entirely new meaning. And to answer your question about Graham, what would I, what would I say to him? Or, you know, if I had the opportunity to talk to him, I'd absolutely would sit down and try to get some answers i would interview Mm -hmm. read the series i don't i'm a passionate guy i have feelings i have opinions but i'm an objective reporter 
And at the end of the day, facts speak for themselves. So if I had a chance to Graham James to be in a room with Graham James, I know a lot of people, if they had a chance to be in a room with Graham James, it would go, it would go down a lot differently than the way I would do it. But I would sit there and I'd talk to him. I would sit there and I'd ask him questions. I'd give him the real opportunity to explain if he wants to. And I've said this because I did have him in my story. It was just through a conduit. And I, I told this person time and time again that if, you know, Graham wants to talk, if he wants to share, if he wants to help, like he claims in some of those, mm-hmm. you know, things, if he wants to help, then it's telling the truth. It's coming out and telling every, you know, not telling publicly, telling the people that you abused. You know, Graham James is, when you talk to other people, you know, he's sorry in the, in the papers, like the story, sorry in the, you know, whether it's from a reporter or he's sorry in his, you know, probation meetings and all those things. But you talk to some of the people that know him and they go, I don't know if he's all that sorry. Mm-hmm. So to me, I want to know what's in that head and what led to him doing what he, he ultimately did. Well said, man. Uh, last last uh, question. Is there a favorite memory of Jay McCauley that you have? Favorite moment with Jay McCauley? Um, all of them. Hmm. Just talking, man. My favorite moment was I got to feel some of the same ways that those people had email, emailed me felt. I got to feel a warmness from him, a boyish innocence from him. I got to talk to Jay when he was Jay. Mm. I didn't have to talk to Jay when he was out of control, reeling from the abuse that he dealt with. I got to talk to the real Jay. So I'm not going to point out one particular call, whether it was, you know, the in-face meetings or the multiple calls I took when he called me from jail and we talked just about life. I'm going to take all of it because as much as he thanked me and his family thanked me, I owe him way more. Jeff, you did a great job with this whole thing, man. It's been awesome to talk to you. And uh, like I said, hopefully we can help some people that might be in a similar situation or just expand some awareness. So I appreciate that, man. Absolute pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me on because not only, you know, it's great that you got the Winnipeg connection, but using your platform for such good, good things. You've done that your entire career. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak.